All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in today for another episode of the Juan Galt Show. Uh, today, we are lucky, na- lucky enough to have members of the Bitcoin Way and Bitcoin Consulting Group, as well as CoinKite, the guys who make the well-known Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card. So we'll be discussing all of the intricacies of Bitcoin self-custody. It's been a big piece of news lately in the last week. Uh, somebody who had been holding Bitcoin for over a decade, um, had over 20 of them, and then woke up one day and realized that they had been stolen because he put his seed phrase on an internet-connected device. So yes, um, before we get going today... Uh, I like to do a little news rundown as we let people usher into this space. So uh, top of the order is today is the first day in three years that Bitcoin surpassed Ethereum for daily fees. Um, It seems as if there's been a big BRC20 mint uh, ordinals are back in action. Um, As you saw, the Taproot Wizards yesterday announced that they raised $7.5 million for their ordinal startup. Um, Again, this is quite the divisive issue within the Bitcoin space. Um, Some people don't like the fact that the Blockchain is being used uh, to be inscribed upon with images and uh, NFTs, while others think that this is just a natural order of things and that people who want to pay for the block space um, have the right to pay for it. And so as we move forward and go into next year and the halving where miners will have their block reward cut in half, um, it is good to see an increase in, uh, in minor revenue through this. Um, however, uh, it's definitely congested the, the blockchain right now, right? I mean, yesterday the fees were absolutely outrageous on, on Bitcoin and um, we'll see if this finds a happy equilibrium as we move forward. And uh, and if these fees can replace uh, some of the lost revenue when, when the rewards get cut in half next April. Uh, in other news, um, a new documentary just came out by Reason TV, the YouTube channel, uh, going deep into Bitcoin mining and its uses um, outside of just uh, generating hashes. Uh, they profile a Brooklyn bathhouse that uses Bitcoin miners to heat their saunas and hot tubs. Um, this is actually a funny story. Uh, when this was revealed, I think it was earlier this summer that this uh, Brooklyn bathhouse is using Bitcoin miners to heat their tubs. Some uh, hipsters in New York City and Brooklyn were up in arms, upset that they were using Bitcoin miners to heat their tubs. But I mean, these things are going to be using energy anyway. Uh, these people don't seem to understand that it's just another way to create the hardest money on earth while also creating heat rather than just uh, spending money to create heat. Uh, moving on. Um, today marked a new all-time high of 70.47% of all Bitcoin not being moved in over a year. Uh, Bitcoin is up 117%. Uh, just this week marked the lows of the last cycle when we went down to 16000 per Bitcoin. And 70% of people who held Bitcoin since then have not moved it. Um, I think that shows great conviction, of course. Within the space, knowledge is spreading. People know the asset that they have. And uh, people are not willing to part it for $36,000. Um 
Yes, as uh, as V for BTC likes to say, uh, your Bitcoin is generational wealth, and you better treat it as such. So, yes, that leads us into today's discussion. Right. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Rob, for the, the news recap. Always my, one of my favorite parts of the show because, uh, you know, you get them all in like two minutes and you're good. So <laughs> if you want to get quick news updates, this is a good way to do it. Um, today we have a pretty cool show. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin self-custody. Uh, it's obviously been a big topic this week. There's been some, you know, one big loss a few days ago. In El Salvador, it's actually a friend of a friend, and you know it was kind of a, a big shock to everybody when we were there. We're 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 making cacao with uh, Mr. Roger Nine Thousand when we found out. It's a bit of a shock. It's, it sucks to lose twenty something Bitcoin, but um, you know I think there's definitely a lot to learn from the story. Uh, we have today D from the from CoinKite, and we have Mr. VaBTC uh, from the Bitcoin Way. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Hey, yeah, good morning or uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. We are awesome, man. This is going to be a great uh, Twitter space. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Mr. VaBTC, how, how should I, what name should I use for you? <laughs> well, for starters, it's not VaBTC. It's V4BTC. It stands ah. for Victory for Bitcoin. There we go. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was like an acronym, you know, like you're, you're like a password, you know. <laughs> no, man, it's based. It's 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 taken off from V for Vendetta, you know, the uh, one of the greatest movies. Yeah, absolutely. I wa- watched it recently. It's it's fantastic. It's a great. It's movie. an awesome movie. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you. Um, and we have NVK in the audience, which is great to see. Feel free to raise your hand and jump in if you'd like, or just stick around. Um, so. Anyway, let's uh, before we get into it. I mean, we're going to talk about self custody. We're going to do a little bit of a full range overview. We're going to talk about CoinCat and some of their products. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin way and uh, the offering uh, and considered services that they're offering. Getting a little bit into that, uh, but before we get into self custody, you actually have got to have some Bitcoin. And you know, I know there's a few fellow Canadians out there in the audience. I am one, and. Uh, if you want to get some Bitcoin in Canada, Beaver Bitcoin is uh, Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. Uh, you can buy Bitcoin instantly or set up recurring purchases directly from your bank account. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin is non-custodial, delivers your Bitcoin directly to your cold storage wallet, which should not be anywhere near the internet. And uh, it's built by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough to recommend to your family and friends. You know, as a Canadian, the, the inflation in Canada is uh, pretty obvious. It's pretty glaring. It looks at you in the face every time you buy a carton of eggs or some milk uh, or whatever it may be at the grocery store. And so, you know, if you don't have your family on, on Bitcoin, at least get grabbing a little a little bag of Bitcoin, then uh, you might be you might be pushing your luck there. I think you, you it's a good idea to get your, your family DCA in Bitcoin and uh, you can do it at BitcoinBeaver.com. So sign up, uh, sign up today. Uh, now, if you already have some Bitcoin, then you know you're ready for this conversation. Let's jump into self custody. Um, 
let's uh let's do a quick overview of well actually let, let me ask you this question so i just gave a speech at adopting bitcoin about the top five best bitcoin self-custody mistakes uh it's doing well people are enjoying it um but I, I could have included a lot more mistakes you know i wanted it to, to keep it very high level and i thought i was going to run out of time it turns out i you know, crushed in like 15 minutes. But uh, let's start with you, Tony. What What do you think is like the most obvious Bitcoin self-custody mistake that people make that is not really being discussed or people are maybe unaware of? Well, some of the biggest mistakes is not understanding, first of all, what is self-custody, like what it, what it entails, what's what's involved. Um, before you Before you actually do anything to safeguard your Bitcoin, you have to understand why you're doing it. And another mistake that I find is people not taking the time to educate themselves into understanding what hardware is required for proper self-custody. Um, you know, when you're protecting something as scarce as Bitcoin, something that's, uh, you know, going to be your, you know, potentially your generational wealth, this is not a domain or something that you want to take shortcuts with or start skimping on products or trying to looking for deals. Um, we're very strict about, you know, the uh, the hardware that we recommend at the Bitcoin way. We we run like extensive tests on them all, um, and off like for starters, we only deal with open or verifiable source gear. You know, anything that falls short of this, like we don't even acknowledge at that point. Um, you know, projects that also do censorship, collaborate with chain analysis, do any of that stuff are automatically disqualified. Like we're very strict about adhering to, to the Bitcoin ethos. And we push this knowledge um, to individuals so that they understand why this is important as well. So if you're going to hold on to, you know, your, your Bitcoin self-custody, you have to realize that there's a lot of elements in play. It's not just a cold wallet and it's just not a, the, a Bitcoin node, which are two of the most critical components anyhow, but it goes beyond that. You need to be sure that you know your network is secure, your computer is secure, your phone is secure. Basically, any element that interfaces with your Bitcoin at any point in time in any way, shape or form also need to be accounted for because they're also part of that formula. So, I come from 25 years of cybersecurity and encryption and privacy. So a lot of that knowledge, like we implement in all our Bitcoin self-custody um, consultations. So it's not like an off-the-shelf, you know, follow the manual type of, you know, configure this this way or that way. No, I mean, we, we, we set these up, you know, the way they're supposed to be. But we also involve all of these other elements into each of the setup to ensure that every everybody's end result is unique enough so it differentiates you know one individual from another that adds a certain level of security for you know to to each individual and at the same time it's a it's a very good learning process for the person involved most folks that come to us have very limited technical skills but once it's explained properly in a very you know structured easy to understand um, methodology at the end of it, you know, people go from knowing very little to becoming, you know, pretty comfortable um, dealing with their Bitcoin in terms of sending and receiving. You know, we teach them, you know, which part you want to safeguard for the long term, which part, you know, you can put on a non-custodial lightning wallet, you know, to spend, you know, to support businesses that accept Bitcoin. Like we, we break down these distinctions very well so that there's like a more robust understanding for everyone. Yeah, and it can be pretty intimidating, you know, once you start to crack, you know, through the veil of cybersecurity. Um, 
how how difficult it is to have like a really secure laptop or computer or phone and like really what the what what we're dealing with but i think you know part of the solution that's been sort of constructed is to you know build in layers and then have a clear thread model and understand that you don't necessarily need like um you know like that there's like different levels of security that you can build slowly and like you know maybe concentric circles or such um how do you how do you just real quick how do you deal with the question of a thread model for a user do you do you sit down with them and figure out their personal thread model? Um, how do you have that conversation with people? Because I think, I think people don't. I don't know that people are 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 studying or thinking about their own personal thread model. Um, you know, in a more in a sophisticated enough way. You're right. They're not. Most people have no idea where to even start um, with regards to this. Um, we 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 bring awareness to the fact that if you're going to become your own bank. You're going like you're safeguarding your money. So you have to treat this, you know, as something that you're going to protect essentially with your life. You know, you can't be casual about it. You can't be nonchalant about it. And you definitely don't want to take shortcuts with any of it. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, it's not like, you know, you're going to go from zero to a hundred in five minutes. It's a progress. You know, we, we can start off, you know, with, with the, with the basics and progressively build, you know, upon these things as each person understands um, each step of the way, okay? I mean, essentially, if you want to start off with a good computer, you the ideal scenario is to have a computer that you only use for Bitcoin, that you're not using it for anything else, unless you're someone who's really um, technically comfortable, savvy, and disciplined into knowing what you can and cannot do on that machine, you know, it's not, you don't want to use a family computer where you have kids downloading all sorts of nonsense on it to do your Bitcoin because, you know, inadvertently something can be installed on that machine, maybe a keylogger, maybe something else, and then an accident happens and then boom, your money is gone. And then all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose. You don't want to take these risks with these machines. So we always have a conversation. One of my first questions I ask is, is this a work computer or is this your own computer? I was very surprised at the number of folks that come to do self-custody on a work computer. I'm like, right off the bat, you know, we end the conversation. We're like, hold on, before we move any step further, you cannot do any of this stuff on a work computer because it's not yours. And essentially, you're going to be leaking anything and everything about you to that company that you're working for. So step one, get your own machine, get your own phone, get your own software, get your, yeah, get your own gear. Once you have that in place, then we have, you know, a different type of conversation. We show them how to lock it down or minimize the use of these devices um, for Bitcoin only. You know, we start with the very simple things. And then as their knowledge, you know, deepens, we progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, when I got when I started into into Bitcoin, I really had no idea. Like, I, I didn't understand at all how the Internet worked. I'd never done a backup of anything, you know, and that's something that I kind of touched on that speech that I gave recently. But, you know, it's uh, it is quite a rabbit hole to go down. And what one of the tools, one of the great tools that we have is device separation and separation from the Internet and and and, and specialized devices for specific purposes, which is. You know, one of the reasons we have cold card and coin kite on today. I mean, it's great to have you guys, DNVK. Uh, you guys are doing fantastic work. I'm a huge fan of uh, fan of cold card. Uh, maybe D, maybe can you give us a little overview of of 
CoinKite as the company or maybe like what kind of products you guys have right now and what are you guys uh, focusing on to help in, in, in Bitcoin self-custody? Yeah, I can get a quick uh, 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 overview and then I know MPK is kind of on stage here. So if you want to touch on anything, but uh, basically our MK4s are bread and butter. Um, it's a hardware wallet. Uh, you know, it can be as advanced or as a beginner as you want. Um, you know, you can uh, plug it into your computer, sign transactions if you like, or you can have it fully air gapped with an SD card. Uh, we also have our Q1, our cold card Q coming out in hopefully 2024. Uh, that will kind of be an updated uh, MK4 with a lot of more advanced features, um, as well as um, I believe we have our stats link, but that's that's not a hardware wallet. So that's not uh, self-custody. Uh, but yeah, we also sell things like the Tap Signer, which is um, a nice budget-friendly hardware wallet. Um, as well as a sats card, which is kind of like a gift card. You can give uh, Bitcoin to people without them really having uh, or knowing about Bitcoin, uh, which is really cool. Uh, we also have things like the block clock, uh, which is uh, a really uh, cool collectible item that you can put on your wall. Uh, you know, have the block time, uh, sorry, uh, uh, block uh, block height, or um, the you know the cost of Bitcoin in dollars or whatever your local currency is. Um, things like that. Um, so we're a Bitcoin-only hardware wallet company. That's kind of what we focus on mostly. And I don't know if any of you wanted to add anything to that. Oh, happy to. Um, so, you know, we are one of the oldest Bitcoin companies in the space. Uh, we've been doing Bitcoin security for a very, very long time. And uh, currently, as Dee mentioned, you know, we have the code card. We have the top signer, which is a much e easier sort of like a more beginner like hardware wallet uh we know we have the sats cards for people to to trade anonymously uh and physically bitcoin um we have the code card queue coming uh god i think we have like 50 products in the store you know there's metal plates there's everything you possibly need to start uh your bitcoin safely yeah that's really cool and um you know, what are the things, I mean, first of all, the, the mini Bitcoin block clock uh, looks awesome. I think I'm going to grab one of these uh, as soon as I can. And, uh, but, you know, one of the questions that I've had for you for a long time is since the cold card kind of looks like a calculator, uh, does it have a feature to be a calculator? Because, you know, you, you, you might as well, might as well lean into it, you know? Uh, no, no. It, yeah, I know. It's a, it's a. It is a feature that people really ask for, but <laughs> we, we do have reasons not to add it. Like we, we have this like like almost psychopath view of like we don't add any software that is unneeded to any device just because it's more attack surface. Um so yeah, we're pretty pretty crazy about that. That that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want a calculator in there. Um awesome. Well actually I, I, I'm I'm old enough in this industry to remember when CoinKite had like a multi-sig uh, platform. I think it was on the CoinKite website and you could like, you know, build complex multi-sigs. This is way back in the day. I mean, a lot of this offer that we have now was not available. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like the origins of CoinKite uh, and like, you know, what was the, what was the, the, the dream that you had, you know, it was like, Oh my God, I got to build this thing. And, um, and how has sort of the story developed and maybe your, your vision, uh, transformed over time if you can give us like a you know like an overview yeah sure so um we we learned about bitcoin when the white paper came out on slash dot and uh, it looked very cool and idiotic uh we're like uh, there's absolutely no way this thing is gonna work 
but then it started to, uh, and uh, we were like, okay, well, this is great. This is for payments. So we developed Bitcoin payment terminals and the first Bitcoin uh, debit cards. Uh, that was not very smart. We did have a pretty large install base, but it, it was too early, and you know, and Bitcoin is more for savings than payments. Uh, this is way before Lightning was even an idea, um, and uh, we couldn't find uh, a, a wallet system that we could trust for our payment merchants to use. So we developed a whole backend uh, for wallets, uh, and then uh, and then we started sort of like selling that as a service. Uh, you know, this is I think was the first BIP thirty two hierarchical deterministic wallets like implementation in scale. Um, so those, those are very old BIPs <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we developed Bitcoin HSMs as servers and, um, and then we decided that, uh, you know, being a hosted wallet was not a business that we were into. Like, you know, we don't want to hold anybody's bags, even if it's multi-sig. Uh, it, this was kind of like big go before big go. And, uh, we closed that service down and we were looking for harder wallets. And we couldn't find one that we liked, so we created uh, Cold Card. At the same time, around that time, we also created Open Dime, uh, the the one that everybody knows, a little USB key for you to transfer Bitcoin around. And uh, yeah, so so that's kind of like where how we got to here today. We we are now a Cold Card Mark IV. It's the fourth iteration of it, uh, and uh, and the queue being developed and and all the other stuff. That's awesome, and one of the one of the things that differentiates um, the cold card from other hardware wallets, that the ones that I'm familiar with anyway, because there's been kind of a boom of hardware wallets of late, um, is the idea that, as far as I understand, the cold card has basically two um, two microchips inside of it. One of them that's open source, and one of them that's closed source, and they they both have different purposes and different kind of uh, utilities. Yeah. Can you break that down a little bit and maybe oh, compare absolutely. it to other offers? Yeah, so if if you're more curious about this topic, we do have a blog post uh, on our blog. Maybe maybe D can post the yeah, security depth article on the on the NAS. So, Cold Card Mark IV has three main chips. <laughs> We've added an extra one. So uh, we do all the Bitcoin operations uh, as like uh, in the in the open uh, chip, right? Uh, and then we have two secure elements. Um, and they have sort of like a varying degree of openness to them. Uh, but the way we do it is we don't trust any of the chips. Uh, we we sort of like came to the conclusion that we just can't trust any of the chips. So uh, we, we created an architecture around that idea so that uh, none of the chips are trusted to do the security uh, of the coins or key generation themselves. So what that translates to is... Um, if chip has a backdoor, um, you can't just just get the coins. You have to break the other chips as well. And and the more security in depth, right? So the more steps we add to the device, uh, the more cost we add, the more time we add, and the more uh, failure rate we add to attacks, right? Uh, nothing is infallible uh, in security, right? Everything given enough resources could be broken too. So we try to extend the cost of that attack to like ridiculous amounts, right? Uh, I mean, like, you know, Ledger probably spent like a good million dollar trying to break our devices already. So, um, it's a lot of fun to, to, to create things that are very hard for people to get into. 
Yeah, and and speaking of Ledger, uh, I mean they um, <laughs> they kind of uh, you know took a shotgun to their own brand not too long ago. Uh, first of all, I think they kind of opened the stage with being able to with a necklace that you could hang your Ledger on your on your necklace <laughs> on like your like a, as a you know like a wearable Ledger, which is hilariously uh, silly for anybody that's remotely concerned or paranoid about OPSEC. Um, so that was that was great, and then. But then they followed up, you know, because not, not to outdo themselves, they followed up with um, a revealing that they had basically a backdoor into their Ledger X and, and other future products where they could help you, uh, you know, encrypt, back up an encrypted version, sharded encrypted version of your 12 words. Um, so it's really funny how like Ledger has a very strong, let's say, a team to crack hardware wallets and do like solid, you know, testing of hardware devices. But at the same time, they're, you know, how are they going to do this? What, can you guys talk about that? Like, what, what are your thoughts on Ledger now, you know? And, uh, I mean, what was your reaction to all this? You can sum it up in two words. Stay away. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I did a, it was, I did a very awkward podcast with uh, uh, the, the Ledger CEO, Matt, at the Peter McCormick show. I, I highly recommend people watching that episode. Uh, it was awkward and funny. Um, you know, they, they're pursuing a different path, right? Like they, they're more like fiat people, sort of like fiat minded. Um, they they're looking for something where people uh, could sort of like, you know, have their coins accessed for them uh, as a backup. I I don't think that's very aligned with uh, like our vision and and like where I think most of us here would would want Bitcoin to go to in terms of self custody. Uh, but there, there is a market for that. I mean, you know, like uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just. I, I think they have a different vision for where Bitcoin should go. Um, in my opinion, it's not a very uh, honest vision. It's a very hypocritical vision that's taking advantage of people's vulnerabilities by sort of marketing the whole convenience over responsibility factor. Okay, most people are not tech folks. Bitcoin has never existed in the history of humanity. It's very new. So it's very easy to push a narrative um, to sort of like uh, build upon the conveniences that, you know, the world's been accustomed to under the guise as, you know, also it's for your protection. There's none of it is for your protection. I mean, this is why I'm, a, I'm, I'm a heavily against third-party custodians. Not because I think the people behind the scenes may necessarily be you know, very bad intentioned or bad actors is because when you're playing by the rules of a system designed to steal from you, at some point in time, you're going to be coerced to do something. And when that day comes, it's the end user that's going to get screwed. And they're only going to realize they got screwed after they get screwed. It's not like there's a warning given in advance that you know, you're, going, you're about to get rugged. And so this is where we, we are heavily against this whole relying on custodians to do stuff. Yes, for certain things, they may be more practical. Yes, they may be necessary for that transition from you know, where we are now to a perfect Bitcoin world. But the, the, the push for knowledge, the education must be aggressively pursued by everybody that's genuinely involved in the space for the right reasons. And and like we try to bring this out as much as possible, you know, by bringing awareness 
to the fact that you know the responsibility aspect of of self custody is not that hard. I mean, you probably do a hundred things in your daily life that are a hundred times more complex than self custody. You just have to take the time, sit down, listen to someone that's going to explain it to you, like he's talking to a five year old. And then once you get it, then you're you're going to wonder how you ever lived, you know, without doing any of this stuff. So you know. Promoting or supporting companies that don't abide by the Bitcoin ethos, you know, should not be supported, at least as far as we're concerned. All right. So you don't support Ledger. Um, we don't support any closed source project. We don't support any closed source project simply because you cannot trust them. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I, I can't. I can't recommend Ledger either. I think. Uh, I think th- to me that the, the biggest reveal there was that. Uh, they could that they had this capability built in. It's like, hold on, hold on. You're you're revealing a great feature which lets us send lets you guys send a sharded version of the seed to two other third parties. I didn't know you could do that. How can you do that? Isn't it supposed to be like super air gapped? You know? So I mean that's that's a huge reveal. The um, ironic thing is that they had some competition. Was there was some fake app on on uh, on an app store <laughs> that was making more money than they were on the same thing. So, uh, but anyhow, closed source when it comes to Bitcoin, generally speaking, you stay away from. We also don't recommend any of those multi crypto um, hardware devices. You know, mm-hmm. again, to keep the whole software and firmware vulnerabilities to a minimum, yeah. you don't want to take a risk because it comes down to you know this is something you're protecting your generational wealth. Yeah. You know, don't take shortcuts. You know, this is something that you really have to, um, like, genuinely guard with your life. You know, even if you have to upgrade down the line, you know, as Bitcoin progresses, that the technology evolves, there's going to be new products on the market. There's going to be new ways of doing things. You have to stay on top of it, especially if you're also involving some sort of inheritance plan. They need to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you can't set something perfectly today and then expect to die in 50 years and, you know, hope that everything still works. That's, you know, it's, it's not going to happen that way. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the mistakes that I uh, laid out on my speech was uh, around the idea that, you know, if you, you, ha- you can't be lazy, right? You can't be lazy around self-custody. And, and within that question of laziness, there's this topic of, of recoverability and like taking an action, right? So like people will go and set up a multi-sig, let's say, right? Or they'll have the 12 words in the phone, but they will often, and that's what the, this, the, the, app, the wallets will advise them to do, but, what the, but that usually stops there and it doesn't tell them, hey, if anything goes wrong, here's the action plan that you need to take, uh, that you need to act out immediately, right? So if you, for example, like something happens, there's a flood, you know, or, you know, whatever, you can't find your 12 words, the first thing you got to do is go restabilize your 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 wallet structure, right? So send your coins to a new wallet or, you know, like in the case of a of a of a of a single seed or if you're if you're doing multisig, as soon as a key goes missing, it has to become top priority to go and restabilize your multisig cuz now let's say you're in a two of three and one of them goes missing, well, now you're standing on two legs and one more goes down and you're 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 done, right? And so I think people not only need to have like, you know, they think about the structure of their hold up, of their of their self custody, but they also have an action plan for recovery that they will sort of enact as soon as um, as soon as anything goes uh, goes wrong or gets weird, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think, uh, and there's also there's also a good responsibility about how to safeguard you know that that pertinent information. Like, how do you safeguard your seed phrase? How do you safeguard your passphrases? There's a lot of elements involved in self custody other than the seed phrase. You know, some of it is offline. Some of them, you know, some people put them online. You know, like there, it's it's a whole, it's you know, it's a whole mix of things that needs to be properly understood and well structured so that there's no mistakes or at least you minimize the risk of accidents happening. And you know, there's a lot of creativity that comes into play. When it uh, in relation to safeguarding your 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 data, right? I mean, it's not it's not an off the shelf solution. So essentially, you know, the best type of security is the one that nobody knows about. So essentially, you become a ghost, and you know, the more of a ghost you are with regards to where your information is located and how it's structured, well, generally speaking, the more secure you are because nobody knows from what angle to attack you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just just to add as well, I mean, I think I think people when they first get into Bitcoin, right, they have a small amount of money or a small amount of Bitcoin, and they, they don't think anything of it, you know. But I think even just generating your seed is one of the most important parts of your setup, right? Like that's that's kind of the part that <laughs> you need you need the most security, or you know, obviously the most entropy uh, in. So I, I like to tell people when you know when they're first depositing, you know, a small amount, think of it like you know, imagine if this this Bitcoin was worth you know a hundred a thousand times more than what it is right now. Um, Cause you're, you're, you're trying to plan for your future, right? Like you're, you know, obviously you want to store your funds now, but uh, ideally most Bitcoiners are trying to save for their future. Um, so, so really, really take the time um, and, and educate yourself and, and understand what you're doing. Uh, maybe, you know, put uh, a few dollars in and, and start transferring those funds around to different wallets or different addresses um, just to get yourself familiar with uh, the UI and, and kind of, you know, just get, yeah, just get yourself familiar with it because down the line, when you're going to want to spend those coins and they are worth, you know, a hundred X, a thousand X more in value, um, you're going to want to know what you're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think it's also uh, somewhat of a risk that we're taking it, say as educators of self-custody. Um, I'm always very, very um, conscious and, and, and I try to be careful not to intimidate people because, you know, I, I, when I was doing consulting actively um, and, and, and talking to civilians all the time about like setting up their, you know, self-custody and the market and what is Bitcoin and all this stuff. Um, you know, the moment that you start talking about cybersecurity and like a lot of these threat model and, and all this stuff, like people get uncomfortable and they, of course, they get uncomfortable. It's overwhelming and it's a very new thing to them. So I think the question of how to like start people with like, what are the basics? What are the bare minimum sort of? things and like how to work your way through it to the point where you can have like again your node is running over tor you got your coin join set up it's good you can separate flows you know like coin control like once you get into that level to me that's like ninja level for most people right and i think i think um i think it's very easy to to intimidate people and then and then the worst thing is like once they're intimidated and scared they get really paranoid. And if they, they're venturing into self-custody after that, they'll build a maze, you know? And like, if you build a maze for your Bitcoin, you're, you you might get lost, you know? And I think that that's one of the things that I talk about too, but like um, maybe let's, let's, let's zoom out a little bit of the depths of the self-custody. Maybe talk about like, what are the, let's say top two beginner level self-custody principles that you think people should know 
Uh, let's start with D and then go to Tony. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, I like to keep it kind of simple, right? Uh, keep it simple, stupid uh, type of deal. Uh, I fully agree with you. People try and make these elaborate mazes or uh, <laughs> treasure maps where they're like, oh, I've hidden my uh, 12 words and, and each word is in a different location. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it does get a little bit uh, crazy sometimes. So, um, you know, people might be shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, by doing that. So I always, I always tell them, you know, take it slow, keep it simple. Um, and then, you know, work your way up, right? Like we have documents that are, you know, for a beginner guide, we have a middle ground guide and like an ultra paranoid guide. Right. Um, and I feel like some people, you know, uh, they want to dive headfirst into Bitcoin and they just, they just want to get their hands dirty. Um, and they, they go to the paranoid guide. They, they, they try setting things up and they they get really confused. It, it's, you know, off putting because, they don't, they don't feel like they're uh, up to par on the education. Um, and then they kind of get, uh, they go to Coinbase because they say they think it's the easiest option, right? Um, <laughs> so um, keeping it simple would probably be my first um, suggestion. Um, and then, you know, just, just, get, a, just get a hardware wallet. Um, and, you know, I think generating your keys offline is definitely um, another really important part uh, about this. Um, I think a lot of people uh, just think that you can go online and, and, you know, go to a, a dice roll generator <laughs> online and use an advanced function on, on cold card. And then they think they're good. Right. Um, so, so I, I guess keeping it simple and, you know, generating your keys offline would probably be my two go-to suggestions to start. Um, then we can probably go from there. Awesome. Take it away, Tony. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. The, I mean, uh, the, the, the primary reason why we, put together the Bitcoin way is because we understood that, you know, most folks are not tech folks. And so what we do is that we break it down into bite-sized pieces into ensuring that for starters, you're using your own hardware, you know, whether it's your computer, your phone, you know, you, you have modern equipment in terms of your router. Like we look at the stuff, you know, around Bitcoin, even before getting to Bitcoin. And then once we, uh, we get to the actual Bitcoin stuff, well, we are very, strict on our choice of hardware so we start off usually with the cold wallet um, like i said we only recommend open source or verifiable source gear the user picks whichever one you know they're comfortable with for whatever reason and we set them up from beginning to end so we spare the individual having to watch youtube videos if they don't want to or if they're not comfortable doing so they don't have to do this we will like handhold them through the entire process so within an hour or two their cold wallet is set up in paranoid mode, but in a way that's instructed to a five-year-old, okay? So in that sense, all the clients that we've consulted with have always reported that, you know, it was a very comfortable um, procedure. They understood absolutely everything. Nobody was intimidated. There are no stupid questions in any of our consults. You know, we make sure everybody's very comfortable asking whatever it is that they want. Um, we're all here to learn. We're all here to move forward. We're all here to protect our generational wealth. So then once the cold wallet is in place, you know, then we move on to the Bitcoin node and we apply the same principles. Again, as you mentioned, the in our head, Bitcoin is already worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So whenever we consult in self-custody, we have that mindset already in place and we construct all the elements around that whole self-custody module based on it. Because when the panic sets in, you know, when the 
the so to speak, the ETF gets approved and the price goes ballistic. You know, the FOMO kicks in. People are going to start panicking and trying to do everything at once. And that's usually when all mistakes happen and people start losing funds because of silly things. So we don't want this. We want everyone that's properly set up to sleep well at night today in the same way that they're going to sleep well at night when Bitcoin's worth a hundred million bucks. So <clears throat> we structure, you know, the um, our, our consults that way and make sure that at the end of, at the end of it, your self custody is bulletproof and airtight in every possible sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good rule of thumb to always prep your self custody for like a ten x at least, you know, because yeah, you're right. The worst case scenario is you're like actually a really good story that's worth uh, go looking it up. It's, it's on YouTube uh, and 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 on the internet. It was uh, Andres Antonopoulos had a um, a uh, what do they call it? A, a vanity address, right? That it started with like one Antonop or something like that. And those addresses are like by design they're insecure because that means you have to like basically brute force generate private public key pairs until you get something that you like that has like five or six letters in a row that you like, right? So Antonop, right? But he had like a vanity address, and I, I can't remember what happened. I some sort of Roger Ver like. He talks smack about how Antonopoulos was not rich enough, even though he should be. And then people started throwing money on an address. And an address was like in somewhere in Eastern Europe doing a conference. And suddenly he's got a million dollars on a vanity address, right? And he's got to jump on a plane, right? And so the whole story of how he like, you know, managed to MacGyver this money out of this vanity address into a cold storage that he already had set up uh, was amazing. Because the thing about a vanity address is, if you have enough hardware wallet, you can regenerate that private key. So, I mean, yeah, that, that was that's crazy, right? So, so you want to have you know security that's up to par with your huddle, right? And uh, but another thing that you mentioned that's fun was um, the idea that there's there's a bunch of YouTube videos and content online about self custody, and one of the issues is that there's actually a good amount of like really bad advice of self custody out there. Uh, what do you guys? What have you guys seen or what, what, what recommendations have you guys run into that you guys actually think is, you know, really bad advice? Um, and I'll get into one that I have later, but maybe let's start with uh, Tony and then go back to Lee, to D. Well, with regards to YouTube videos, I mean, there's a lot of good content out there um, for, you know, there are a lot of very good people doing good content. I personally haven't come across bad content simply because I guess I'm the type who researches these things a lot. So before, like, I mean, a piece of advice I would give before just picking up like the first video that you find, um, watch a few and, you know, just to compare notes basically and get involved. Like essentially you need to do your own research um, with regards to finding the right content. If you're the type that wants to do it themselves. I mean, there's a very you know popular um, YouTuber with one of the best contents in my opinion, and everybody I guess here knows him, Ben from BTC Sessions. I met Ben in Bitcoin Prague. His work is phenom- phenomenal. His all the information that he puts out, you know, you can depend on a hundred percent. Like I wouldn't think twice before recommending him. Um, the issue is that a lot of people won't watch videos, even from people like Ben, as good as they may be, simply because, one, they're not technic- technically uh, comfortable, 
And two, they may not necessarily want to take the risk themselves, you know, with the trial and error. Do they get it right? Do they not get it right? Until they sort of like master the knowledge. And most people may not have the time to spend hours, you know, watching and rewatching a YouTube video. So either they don't do it or they go and they ask help from someone that can help them do it. Now, that also requires, you know, proper research. Who do you ask for help? You know, so I mean... At the Bitcoin way, we put this group together in order to do this. But people don't, you know, when we first came on on, uh, on the scene, nobody knows us, you know, and we're still in the phase where, you know, people are starting to get to know us, the whole don't trust, verify, we push that. So, you know, with, with pushing out content, with pushing, with having conversations, with pushing out knowledge and all that, there's a certain trust that needs to be built with individuals, you know, so that they can feel comfortable asking for help, you know, and actually trusting someone to help them and not to somehow rug them or to screw them over in one shape or shape way or form, you know? So that's also very important, but it comes down to doing your own research. Individuals have to take it upon themselves to do the work. I mean, the proof of work isn't just for Bitcoin. It's going to come down to us as individuals going forward as well to assume a certain level of responsibility with everything that we do. The whole notion of depending on others because it's easier that's going to die off soon. You know, I mean, this, this, there's too many accidents, you know, too many bad stories that have come about of depending on others. It's going to come to an end. And whether it comes to an end through people that are open to learning or it's going to come to an end through people actually getting destroyed before they learn, you know, that's up to each individual. Hopefully it's the former, not the latter. But again, it depends on the choices that everyone makes. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, I think uh, just, just to touch on, um, you know, people just getting started. I, I, I find a lot of people uh, will, you know, they'll click on their first YouTube video, you know, the first one that pops up and say, you know, this is the best uh, solution for me, um, you know, and they don't uh, do another, <laughs> another round of, of research. Right. Um, and I think we, like, we get this question a lot, you know, they're like, well, what's, what's the best security setup, right? And, uh, you know, I think everyone's uh, setup is going to be a little bit different. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of similarities between people. Um, but I think um, everyone's um, HODL will, will be um, secured a little bit differently. Um, and I don't think there is one best way. You know, I think a lot of people, um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people on Twitter like to push multisig. Um, and, you know, multisig is a great solution. Um, I just don't think it's for everyone. Um, and I think people do make that mistake uh, early on sometimes where they set themselves they set themselves up with a two or three multi-sig because their their favorite podcaster told them to do so. Um, they lose one of the keys and they lost the descriptor. Um, so now they only have two of the keys and they don't have their basically their map to get back to the multi-sig. Um, and then they basically lock themselves out of their funds because they don't have that third X pub to recreate the multi-sig um, configuration. Um, so <laughs> I think that's definitely something that people, um, should think about twice before, you know, just jumping into a multi-state, because I think a lot of people don't understand that there's, there's more pieces to that puzzle that you need to hold on to, um, long-term and make sure that they're safe, um, and you know, that you can access them. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it may be a rookie mistake or not a rookie mistake, but just, uh, you know, just, just jumping into multi-state, not even knowing what a single sig wallet is. And then potentially locking yourself out of those funds 
you know, you can see them, you can see your, your funds in your ex-pub Sparrow wallet, but you can't access them. It's a very sad uh, oh, moment for some people, right? Um, you know, they're gone forever. So, uh, you know, maybe start off with a, a simple single SIG. Um, you know, you can, if you're feeling fancy, maybe add a passphrase, make sure that, you know, that passphrase is backed up somewhere, ideally on steel, somewhere separate from your seed words, things like that. Um, I think those are kind of some important lessons for people um, because even passphrases, you can get, you know, knocked in the head, you get a car accident um, and then you forget your passphrase and then you're also locked out of your funds, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the big overwhelming, um, you know, thing to hit home here is always education. And I, I find a lot of people just kind of love to jump right in and then skip a lot of steps and then think that their, you know, their treasure map with, three sharded things all around the world are, are are more safe than, you know, a simple single SIG with a passphrase or even just a single SIG in general. Um, and then they, they end up, um, you know, um, losing their funds. Um, I think another, another one I've seen around is when um, people think that, you know, they can split their 24 words, um, you know, into four, and then they just give like six words to each person. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, see, like we're good now. So I just got to, go around to these four people or these other three people and collect the other words. Um, you know, and that, that also is a very bad foot gun that could potentially end up with a lot of loss of funds. Um, so I, I, I would recommend, you know, seed XOR over, um, you know, doing that even, even seed XOR might be a little advanced for people. Uh, basically it's just kind of splitting your seed into two. So you need to combine them um, to recreate your seed, but at least, uh, you know, it's just two parts rather than <laughs> splitting your, your words up. So anyway, don't split up your words. Definitely not recommended. Yeah, that's that's actually very common. I, I, I guess it's like a very intuitive and natural thing for people to think. It's like, well, you know, it's centralized. Like I have all my money on these 12 words. What if somebody finds it? Maybe I'll just like, you know, slice it up and share it. But but yeah, like anybody that has like a piece of that seed now has like an important piece of your entropy. And now you have an incomplete path to your your to your to your keys so it's just it's terrible right like it weakens your security on one end and it like it, it breaks your recovery path on the other one it's just terrible um i uh I'm, I'm one of my critiques one of my one of my the mistakes of my speeches is uh do not use a passphrase and and it's for a very similar reason as 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 you mentioned with the multisig side of things i'm a big fan of multisig but yeah you're right people don't don't know often that you have to have like the descriptor, right? So it's basically like, you know, you create, you, you have a template of a, of a Bitcoin multi-sig. You need to have the template, right? So with, with, uh, with Casa, for example, one of the reasons I like Casa is Casa sends you an email with very clear, like, here's the descriptor, here's all the details. You got to store this stuff. It teaches you, right? But if you're using like a more advanced wallet, something like Sparrow and such, that's not like multi-sig specialized. They might not tell you, you gotta, you gotta, and I actually don't know, maybe they do tell you, but yeah, you have to store that, that multi-sig template and, and make sure you have multiple copies and you don't lose that because otherwise it's just like an extra password that you're missing with, with the passphrase side of things. My, and I'm curious what you guys think about this. My critique of it is that people think that, that, oh, well, they, they started to get uncomfortable, right? Like once you've been on a single SIG for a long time, you start to like something starts to like itch, you know, in your back. It's like, oh my God, all my money is in the 12 words somewhere buried in my house. 
you know, you started thinking about it and you started imagining, you know, what if somebody finds it? So, you, so it's like, okay, maybe, maybe if I put a password on it, you know, like, and then you got the 12th word, like the 25th word or the passphrase or the secret thing, then if somebody finds it, then they won't have enough, right? Key material to recover my account and steal my money, right? Um, but, but the reality is, is that it's much more likely that you, that you put a tw- 25th word on it and then you forget that 25th word. And now your twelve now your recovery seat is incomplete, and then the, the 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 private keys on your hardware device are also incomplete, and so you've 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 bricked your own access, right? Or 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 you know or you or you put a password on your wallet dot file Bitcoin Core, and then you forget the password. I mean, the amount of clients that have had to try and brute force their wallet dot file, it's like half of them, right? It's like they just don't they just forget, right? And and it's a very similar problem where in order to, in an attempt to have better security over a, a, a an attack vector that's very unlikely, you end up breaking your your recoverability. Um, what do you guys think of that idea and, and, and that critique of, of passphrases? And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that question. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in about this. Um, I'll, ha- I'll have to respectfully disagree with you on the passphrase thing because... It is a uh, it's a very important piece a piece to account for. Now, what you've said about people forgetting and all that that's also very true. This is why it's important that edu- like the proper information is relayed, that the proper education is uh, is is put out there. You know, before you actually engage in setting anything up, um, it will take. I mean, security really comes down on the user. I mean, you can keep things really simple, and someone will still screw it up, you know, because they're careless, or you can make it super complex and they'll still screw it up because they're also careless. So it comes down to, you know, how responsible the individual is into making sure that they don't screw anything up. Now, that being said, you know, with proper security measures, you don't have to go super, super complex, you know, from day one. I mean, um, the security model can be, you know, casually improved over time as your understanding of what you have solidifies. So single SIG done properly, you know, with good practices and implementations, you know, and safeguards put in place is good for, I'd say, 90% of the population. As long as they're um, conscientious and disciplined, you know, not to mess any of the steps up, they will be fine. I mean, they will be fine. There's a lot of common sense also involved, you know, in, uh, in this. Like, you don't go out and advertise what you're doing, obviously, you know, especially when Bitcoin's price becomes worth a lot more than it is today. I'm assuming most people that are blabbing about Bitcoin on social media are going to disappear simply because they no longer want the attention on themselves. So that's also something to keep in mind. Um, but to have a seat, like you can have a seat phrase on its own, but obviously that's in my opinion, a little too simple, okay? Now, you can get creative with the seed phrase into how you do it, but the, the more creative you get, you have to, re- you basically have to remember what you've done. Either you remember it yourself or you, you know, you implement procedures that'll help you remember what you've done and you all, you stay on top of it so that, you know, you, you, you make sure you don't lose or forget any of it. So, Seed phrase is one thing. Passphrase definitely adds another layer of security because, and you keep them always separate, right? You never keep them in the same place. If somebody finds one, you know, they have nothing. They find the other. They still have nothing. You need them both together. But you need to remember 
where you've put each, you know, and that is why, you know, properly explaining it, properly educating yourself, you know, repeating the, the process every once in a while, like once it's set up, go through the process of, you know, uh, going into your cold wallet, entering your passphrase, maybe put a calendar reminder once a month to go through that exercise. Think of it as a mental workout once a week, once a month, every day, if you have to, it really depends on a personal preference, but just go through it so that you just keep it fresh in your mind. And the more you, you get solidified in what it is that you have, if you want to go further up in the security model, then it becomes easier to do because your fundamentals are understood by you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is probably like a proper way to do it. But um, anyway, I, I still don't like it. But yeah, D, you want to... Uh, no, no worries. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going back to my other part point where everyone's setup is going to be a little different, right? And we could have 12 people on stage, you know, the smartest uh, minds in Bitcoin on stage. And, you know, they may not all agree on what what the best setup is uh, or what, you know, what the best security setup is for your, for your seat, right? Um, so I think people will have preferences or, you know, obviously opinions. Um, I, I do like passphrase. Um, maybe even uh, keeping it a little bit more simple where, you're not having like a 12 word passphrase. You can have something that, you know, might take a day or two to brute force so that maybe even even just gives you some time, right? Say, uh, say someone comes to your door and, and, and steals your, your seed words and, you, you know, uh, they, they know that there's passphrase on it, but they, they can't get it from you for some reason. Um, maybe it takes them a day or two to brute force that. So that gives you some time to, to, to go somewhere else and, and, and send those funds elsewhere or, or something like that, or even if you don't want to use a passphrase, you could use, like I was talking about CDXOR, where there's a little bit of plausible deniability, where instead of having your raw 24 words, um, you know, in your house or wherever, um, you can have them split into two 24 words, so, which, which are two separate wallets as well. So maybe they don't know to combine those two wallets together to get your actual seed with your, with your massive hoard or whatnot, right? Um, so there's, there's hundreds of, <laughs> of setups, uh, thousands uh, even. Um, so I think uh, everyone will have their little bit of preference, right? But I agree. You know, I think obviously education is key here and you just got to make sure you know what you're doing when when setting these things up. And I think it's great to do once a month or, you know, once every quarter. Just just access that wallet and know that you can sign a message from that wallet uh, is definitely a nice uh, ease of mind and definitely helps me sleep <laughs> sleep better at night. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, um, I really like X, X and OR. I forget what it's called, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Go ahead, mic check. Okay, oh, hey, Coinbase. Yeah, did you have a okay, question? Yeah. How are you so, doing, man? Oh, uh, hi. No, I, I just want to add up to things that, you know, uh, I'm doing good. So I just want to add up to things. You know, people generally, what, uh, what happens is that they presume. So I would really, uh, you know, like to add on to point that whenever they would be using any Bitcoin wallet, probably hot or cold wallet. And what uh, V4 has just said, so I would compliment that because people have to go ahead for that they should log in first, you know, on a month or, you know, 15 days, 20 days, according to their, you know, system. Secondly, the one thing that I want to make is that they should go ahead and transact it once. I mean, it could it could make them, uh, you know, pay $5, $10 for the fees of the blockchain or maybe uh, the exchange or maybe the, from, from the cold wallet like a ledger or, or maybe for anything that matters. 
but they, they should go ahead and they, they should set up things and try to transact it you know uh, get the bitcoin in their wallet and try try to transact it mm-hmm. outside as well to any other wallet required when they needed to have a seed phrase and then they can surely do one thing they, they can have a paper wallet take a print out put it on your email write it down somewhere so you know these are very basic steps that we use it in a very general way like we use it in the email uh, to to have it on our you know, sure, email and sure. all that stuff so it's not that rocket science people make it like a rocket science like it is something out of the world but it is not something like that it's pretty like a regular day to day basis because when there are funds wants to make sure okay fine and it is transactable and how easily it is transactable is the challenge they would go ahead and face it when they go ahead and transact it once i mean i can get bitcoins in my wallet but i will never try to get it out of it so how would i know what are the things that are required do they ask for seed phrase do they ask for some some you know sort of you know when we when we use ledger supposedly so it 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 has a passcode over there passphrase as we say so all those things so people yep. should go ahead and embrace those things maybe it may cost you Ten dollars. Do not worry about twenty dollars or twenty dollars. No, a hundred percent. I mean, we 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 talked about that earlier but about, about definitely testing it. it out. Yeah, testing out your your wallets and so on. Did you have a specific question or anything you wanted to ask? Mic check. Oh uh, no, thanks. All right. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think yeah, we we touched on that like the idea of 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 testing everything out and starting small. A hundred percent agree with that. That's that's uh, that's really important. And testing your recovery. See, the problem is if you're going to test your recovery seed, you you don't want to be typing your recovery seed into a computer because then you're kind of breaking it. So it's it's a little tricky. But yeah, you gotta you gotta make you gotta test your your wallets and stuff. Um, yeah, you could you could always do uh, you know you could have a basically you have whatever hardware wallet you want, of course, um, and you could just have two of them. Maybe you have a backup for uh, if the the first one potentially breaks, or you know like like you're saying for for recovery or just testing it out and seeing if you're entering it on a different offline device, if you get the same results um, is definitely um, beneficial. Yeah. That, that, that part, it really, it really depends on the setup. And I think it's, there's some ways to do it securely. Um, I know that Tresser has one option that lets you um, input the seed into the device in a different order than it, like in a randomized order. And that actually maintains the entropy you know, because there's 12 words in, in a different order is a huge amount of possibilities. So um, that lets you test the seed without exposing it because the order in which the seed is written is actually about as important as all the words. So um, so that that, that works. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so, so, okay, like I would love to, I think it, it deserves a debate that this question alone of like seed phrases, sorry, of, of past phrases, I think it deserves like a focused conversation and, and sort of game theory sort of powwow. But um, because I, I, anyway, one of the issues that I have is that it doesn't, it does, it's not redundant, right? It's not interchangeable, right? With a multi-sig, if you have two of three multi-sig, as long as you have, you know, multiple copies of the script, you know, and you're not going to lose it, then if you lose one of the keys, you know, you can replace it with a different key. It's It's redundant, right? But with the, with, the, with the 25th word, the 25th word is not redundant. So if you lose that, 
you know, you're, you're, it, you're, you're, you're done. And then you're also typing it into a computer all the time. So like, it's not like it's a particularly secure seed or, or extra word, but, um, but I understand that that's like, uh, you know, an area where we can have a, a deeper discussion. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'll let you guys respond to that. And then I have another question that I think is, might actually help address a lot of these, these questions that are, that are really interesting. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be arguments for both sides. And, uh, you know, I think it, it comes down to maybe a little bit of uh, different different strokes for different folks. <laughs> um, you know, some people may like that redundancy. Some people may want a very secure um, single SIG with, with a pass rates on top rather than having to worry about three other keys, um, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I still think it, it kind of depends on the person. And just as long as, you know, your education is sound, um, that's really the most important part. And I mean, if you have like an offline device, like a cold card, and um, you're putting in a passphrase to sign, like every time that boots down, uh, it, it gets wiped. So it's not like there's there's a, a risk of something potentially knowing your PIN and then knowing your passphrase from your PIN. Um, and it's fully offline. So it's not like you're entering it into an online computer. So that's definitely a plus as well. Uh, but I, I do see your argument um, where... You know, it, it is nice to have um, something where you can just recover a key and then and then sign uh, if, if you forget one. Uh, I understand that. Sure, sure. Um, any 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 more thoughts on on that, Tony, or should we move on to this the next uh, the next question? No, we we can move on. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's been discussed, you know, enough. I think it comes down sure. to personal choice and understanding and comfort levels. But you know, in my opinion, I'm a fan of passphrases as well, so yeah. I push those. But you know, I make sure that it's the procedures on how to use them is properly understood, and we, you know, we do practice runs and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know as long as people are well educated on it, and, and another thing that people do that's kind of a mistake is they they sort of obscure, like they don't keep a good record of what they're doing, you know, out of concern that somebody will find the map to their treasure, so to speak. But like I think I think keeping good accounting and records of of your stuff is 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 the kind of thing that will save you in a in a in a worst case scenario. Um, For sure. I, I guess the last thing to add would be. Um, no, not in terms of multi-sig or passphrase, but, you know, it, with your descriptor or with your XPUB or anything like that, um, a lot of people will obviously keep that private, right? Because if you're if you're giving away your XPUB and showing off your keys or showing yeah. off your addresses, then people can, you know, contract that with chain analysis. So I, ideally, you know, like, like uh, V for uh, BTC was saying, you know, I think a lot of people will kind of disappear uh, when, they're, when, they're, when their money becomes uh, a lot more valuable, right? So, uh, planning ahead and making sure that you're not exposing your ex-pubs to anyone um, is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so one other question that I think is important before we, we wrap up, I think we could probably do another 10, 15 minutes maybe, but um, is the question of, um, you know, one thing is the threat model, right? And I think we could write a pretty long list of potential threats, you know? I mean, we're all, I think, somewhat paranoid in this <laughs> in this industry. Right. And so we can, we can imagine threats. That's no problem. But like, but I think when you, when you compare a list of theoretical or potential threats to a list of actually empirically executed threats, like stuff that's actually happened and that's actually led to loss of funds. um, I think it helps us, helps you kind of organize the priority of those threats. Cause there's a lot of theoretical threats that are just like, 
too far in the weeds and too low in priority and too difficult to execute, even if they're very bad, if they happen, right? So maybe what, what are some of the big, the big threats that you guys think about? What are the big, like the actual hacks that you guys have sort of, you know, had to really digest uh, and integrate into, into, let's say your education or your, or your threat models. Um, in my experience, most of the threats are self-inflicted. You know, people making their own mistakes, you know, while either not paying attention or not being uh, properly informed as to how to proceed. And like you guys mentioned previously, overcomplicating um, their lives unnecessarily by creating this convoluted maze of things that they forget half the time. So that's the number one threat model is, is oneself. Um, the foundation to good security is, you know, building it one step at a time. It doesn't, you know, you don't, when you, you don't build a house in one go, you, you start with the foundation and you work your way up until you finish it. Security is the same thing. And, you know, we, we make sure that this is very clear and understood before diving into any of, you know, the, uh, the structural um, parts of it. But again, it comes down, it comes down to understanding organizational skills it uh, comes down to being disciplined and to always you know really preserving and safeguarding this infrastructure you know preciously it's not something to take shortcuts with it's not something to be casual or careless about because it's your money if you're not going to take it seriously and something goes wrong well it's on you you know like no no one else is responsible for it now Certain people have different threat models depending on maybe who they are or where they live and all that stuff. And in those situations, yes, we have deeper conversations with them um, with regards to trying to understand exactly, you know, what it is, you know, that they're more concerned about. And then based on this, while well, we come up with creative ways to sort of like um, mitigate these risks. And we do this by having ongoing conversations and by playing devil's advocate with what if scenarios in order to ensure that you know we get to a point where most of the what if scenarios have a definitive and concrete answer and then once that's in place then it's safe to assume that we have a pretty good um uh, roadmap that we can adhere to and again this is not something that's set in stone i mean we 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 start off with this and we fine-tune follow up, keep an eye out on it, you know, as time progresses and we make changes as we see fit. But this is an ongoing thing. Security is an ongoing thing. It's not an on and off switch. So that's something that also needs to be properly understood and accepted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a cat and mouse game, right? Have to, uh, yeah, you have yeah, to I, uh, update it. Mm -hmm. All good. Um, yeah, no, I would just, uh, I would definitely echo uh, what he's saying. I, th I think a lot of people, um, they get into a self custody, um, head, you know, dive in head first, don't understand what they're doing. And then, you know, two years later when they want to go spend those funds, um, they're at a loss of, you know, how to even spend because they've just been looking at their watch only wallet on Sparrow or blue wallet for, for, <laughs> for however long and sending funds to it, but they ha they have no idea how to, how to spend from it. So, um, I think, uh, a, a big thing is definitely, you know, making sure that you yourself know what you're doing. And making sure that, you know, you're not your biggest enemy, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I obviously you want to be plan, you know, you want to plan ahead and make sure that, you know, if someone holds a gun to your head, um, you know, obviously that, you know, you know, plan, you don't want to 
that doesn't want you don't want that to happen but you never know when that's going to happen um you want to have uh security things in place so that even if they hold the gun to your head there's no way for you to spend those funds or um you know there's a lot that you maybe have a few wallets so that um you have, uh, you know, a duress wallet with a small amount of funds that might deter them. Um, you give them those that funds, but you still have your your hoard or, or things like that. Right. Um, so I got a question uh, actually in the DMs, and someone was asking if we could talk about the complexities of, um, you know, when they should be added, um, or you know, what what size UTXOs, um, so that you're not just sent, you know, sending like a dollar uh, per address. I think. Um, a lot of people, you know, even in the mining industry, they get like like payouts and things like that. And um, down the line, if you have UTXOs that are really small um, and you try and consolidate those when, say, fees are at 500 sats per byte or 100 sats per byte, um, you're going to be paying a lot of money for that. Um, so ideally having, you know, bigger UTXOs. I like to recommend uh, 1 million. I know that's kind of just an arbitrary number for people, um, but um, it, it kind of future proofs your, uh, yourself a little bit so that, you know, you're not spending more than 10% of your UTXO. Um, and then just for, you know, added complexity, I think, again, that's just like kind of a question for yourself and seeing what you want to do, right? If you if you have $100 worth of Bitcoin, um, you know, I think uh, a hardware wallet that might cost you a couple hundred dollars might might be a little bit, a bit too much, right? Um, maybe you just put that on your phone, um, you know, self-custody wallet for now um, until you're ready to, self-custody and dive down that rabbit hole um you know having just maybe a couple hundred bucks you know you just have a simple um seed phrase written on paper or steel um ideally in a safe location um and then you know i think when you're when you're getting to those bigger amounts and your 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 wealth is is growing over time adding something like a a multi-sig or uh, a passphrase or just some plausible deniability um even having multiple wallets maybe some bip 85 wallets um, we're not going to go all, over all these again, but, um, you know, these are just things that could definitely help you and kind of spread out your risk a little bit um, without having, um, you know, to, you know, like BIP85 is basically like you can deterministically um, go back to all those wallets uh, whenever you want. So you could have like one seed, uh, but you could have like uh, 10 seeds derived from that. So you could kind of split it out. Um, so, you know, if someone's coming to attack you, just give them, give them one of them or, or whatnot, you know, just things like that. Um, I think everyone's going to have a, their own kind of story or their own path to walk down. And um, obviously the, the whole topic of today is education. <laughs> so, um, so I'm rambling on a little bit too much here, but uh, yeah, education's key and just make sure you know what you're doing before adding these uh, complexities. Right. Right. Um, let, let me ask you guys a question about the future of Bitcoin that I think, especially self-custody that I think is, is kind of, a reoccurring topic. It's something that we're talking a lot about in this conversation and in, in this podcast. Um, how, what do you guys think about covenants? Um, and just a quick overview, like simple covenants, like CTV and, and so on. Um, they basically let you impose spending limits on a wallet, which you know could actually be pretty impactful for self-custody. Do you guys have any thoughts on it or any thoughts on any specific softworks? Or you guys just kind of wait and see um yeah what are your thoughts on that uh, let's start with tony and then go with the yeah i'm taking a wait and see approach on this to see you know where we where we go with it i mean with our collaborative custody uh services we couldn't we there's a way to impose spending limits if you wanted to 
Um, so that's one way of doing it. If you wanted like a, an easy, streamlined uh, approach to you know to doing to doing these things, so that's that's not an issue. Um, but as to how the space evolves with regards to covenants and all that stuff, um, you know, just keep it, I'm keeping an eye out on it just to see what comes out of it. So I can't really comment more about this at this stage in time. Cool. Yeah, I would say uh, it's definitely an interesting idea. And I think if we want to make Bitcoin programmable money, um, having more programmable things uh, is really cool. Um, obviously, every every soft fork of Bitcoin, you know, I think everyone should be skeptical of it and make sure that what we're actually adding into Bitcoin is beneficial, has no bugs and won't, uh, you know, screw screw over us <laughs> down the road. Um, not saying that, that that will be the case, um, but I think uh, a cautious approach making sure that um, everything's set in place before before integrating that um, is smart. But the idea is really cool to me. Um, and I know um, there's kind of like other ideas like um, uh, Rob's working on, um, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, mini trip, uh, where you're basically having these kind of priority keys where maybe you have a multi-sig with uh, uh, a master key and two, two sub keys where you need to have the master key plus one of those keys to sign instead of having any of, of the two or three keys to sign, things like that. Um, I think it's really cool. Um, and I think we're just kind of in the early stages of that. Um, even like decaying multi-sigs where maybe after 10 years, um, it, 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 it uh, consolidates into a single sig uh, wallet um, in case, you know, those other two people that are holding on to those keys die or you can't access them because they're um, in, a, in a location far away that you can't get to. Um, I, I think those, those ideas are really cool. Um, just very new, um, and I'm still learning about it myself. Um, so I won't um, comment um, specifically on any, um, you know, in-depth details. But uh, I really like the idea of, of programmable money and having having those options for people, um, as long as they're laid out and people, again, obviously know what they're doing <laughs> before. You know, because like you could you could enter a, a mini script where you know you lock your keys for a hundred years, um, yes. and then you're toast, right? <laughs> so, so again, as long as it's um, easy for people to digest and make sure that they know what they're doing before, um, you know, locking that in, that's great. Um, and I think it, it, it will really um, uh, benefit uh, Bitcoin and adoption um, and help people save their money and not get it stolen as much. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff being developed in this space, which is really, really exciting. Um, Self-custody is going to become a lot simpler going forward. I would, I would imagine, and like with any, you know, the progression of technology, things usually get easier, not more complex. There will probably be more features. There'll be, you know, uh, <clears throat> easier for, you know, regular folk, well, less technical folks, to be comfortable with them. You know, as the technology progresses, it won't necessarily be super complicated or as daunting as many think it is today even though it, in my opinion it's really not once somebody explains it to you properly but that being said i think even today's standards will become very simplified you know maybe come down to a click of a couple buttons and you have the equivalent of what needs you know a couple of hours to do at this stage in time so you know i'm very bullish on everything that's being developed in the space but yes i mean it's not something that you want to rush into as far as i'm concerned you know i'm not a big fan of any soft fork or a hard fork for me it's like the original is is perfect you fine tune it very very carefully um you know on you know, after screening it and auditing it and questioning it a million times before you do anything 
um, so that, you know, you don't take any, you know, uh, unnecessary risk by, you know, inadvertently doing something that blows the whole thing up, you know, because, I mean, something like Bitcoin is not going to come around every two, three years. This is it. You know, it's a once, once, in a, once in a historic lifetime opportunity to really change the way the, work, the world works and to move it into a future where it can really progress into an arena we've never known before. You know, the whole concept of Renaissance 2.0 is, is real. If, this, if we continue on this trajectory of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going to force the world to become an exponentially better place um, to live in. People will be forced to, to provide more value into the, into, into the world. You know, the, the, the separation of money and state isn't just like a cool buzzword. It's, you know, when you remove money from the hands from, of those that can abuse it and manipulate it and all that, tons of things, you know, get, get better. And so we've never known a world like this, but we're about to. And this is why, you know, the, the, the push for constant education to, to hodling on to, to Bitcoin, to trying to orange pill properly, you know, as many folks as possible, as quickly as possible to solidify the whole, uh, you know, uh, domino effect, the network effect of Bitcoin adoption. The faster it accelerates, you know, the harder it becomes to undo all this effort. So, uh, you know, like a lot of things to be bullish on, but a lot of things to always remain vigilant about. Like complacency is not an option. I mean, I know a lot of times, you know, people get excited, you know, number go up and all that stuff. Sure, that's going to attract those that understand nothing. But at some point, even those folks are going to want to protect what it is that they have. And so they will put the time and energy into doing the work because it's going to become abundantly clear that if you don't do this, there's a very real risk that you lose everything. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go through this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that was, that's a great, great note to, to I think, uh, close up the conversation on. Um, I think it's, it, you know, the, the lessons here are, you know, do take your time with it, study, start small, practice, grow slowly. Um, if you want uh, or if you're looking for somebody to walk this path with you and coach you through the process, check out the BitcoinWay.com awesome company and very cool team and uh, very happy to have met them and, and be sort of kind of engaging with them in this conversation. Uh, as far as hardware wallets go, cold card is, you know, frankly, it's the best hardware wallet for Bitcoin. So uh, definitely go check out CoinKite and cold card. Uh, and they have a lot of cool little devices. I love it. Uh, I've played with a bunch of them. Uh, so definitely check that out. And then listen, guys, if you're if you're a fellow Canadian, you know, and you're watching the price of eggs go parabolic, um, you might want to you might want to grab some Bitcoin. You know, I'm just saying, like the Canadian dollar is a bit of a shitcoin. You know, it's basically a, a Canadian peso, right? And uh, I could definitely see Canada uh, heading slowly towards a Venezuelan sort of trajectory if things don't pivot. And you know, they could pivot, but maybe maybe they don't. You know, and so if you if you're in Canada, you're fellow Canadian. Uh, you might want to grab some Bitcoin and Beaver Bitcoin. That's right. Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy Bitcoin instantly, set up recurring purchases directly from your bank account, and it's non-custodial. So it'll, it'll send your Bitcoin straight to your cold storage, maybe on a cold card that you set up with the Bitcoin way, you know, 
and uh, it's built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners, and you can easily recommend it to your family and friends. Very easy to use. You can sign up today at BitcoinBeaver.com. Thank you to them for supporting the show. And uh, hey, guys, this conversation is going to be uh, edited and published on my podcast at HuanGao.com. We also have another great conversation we did with Jameson Lop, which where, where we went like step by step through the path of self-custody and his, his thinking about it. And I think it's also a very informative conversation. And then we have the speech that I gave at Adopting Bitcoin. People are really enjoying that one. So uh, check that out. Sign up to BitcoinNews.com. Subscribe, follow everybody. And uh, I love you guys for being engaged in this conversation. And uh, I, th- I think that was great. Let's, uh, let's uh, you know, any final thoughts before we, we close up? Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, I ran into someone earlier uh, in, the, in the month that was saying that, you know, they, they're afraid to self-custody because it's too risky. Um, and that they hold it with a custodian instead. Uh, and uh, I think uh, as you learn about Bitcoin, you know, you, you slowly go down that rabbit hole and understand that it's the complete opposite, right? I mean, I can think of many examples, even in just the past year, like BlockFi, Celsius, FTX, that have gone completely belly up and, you know, rugged their, their users of their funds because they trusted a third party uh, with their Bitcoin rather than, you know, um, you know, trying to understand Bitcoin themselves and, and take responsibility over their own money. So um, I, I really highly recommend people look into self-custody uh, and even just, you know, like I said, starting with a small amount, trying just to transfer Bitcoin around, understanding how Bitcoin works um, will be really beneficial to you. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, if you want to contact me or you have questions about our products, uh, feel free to uh, either DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open all the time. There's no silly questions. If you uh, have an itch uh, on a question and really need it answered, I can happily um, either point you in the right direction or, or give you the answer. Um, and then uh, if you have any CoinKite questions or, or uh, product questions, feel free to DM us or uh, email us at support at CoinKite.com and uh, we can help you out. So I, I really appreciate you uh, having us up. And uh, sorry, NBK had to drop down a little early. He was having some uh, Twitter issues. Um, but uh, he, he said, thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, really appreciate the opportunity. No worries. I appreciate it, D. And Tony, let's, uh, yeah, tell us, uh, what, you know, what should people know about the Bitcoin way? And, uh, yeah, just yeah. take it away. Yeah, man. Uh, at the Bitcoin way, we're here to help anyone and everyone get into Bitcoin self-custody properly. We offer a free 30-minute introduction call to anyone there's no commitment there's no, nothing to pay just come have a conversation understand what we're about we'll go through all our services basically we will handhold you through the entire process step by step um, we will give you a list of recommendations in terms of which hardware you know you can that we've tested that we like that we we approve you can pick whichever one you want we're not financially incentivized to push any product over another. So we're really like neutral ground in, in that sense. Um, we test a lot of stuff, okay, to make sure that, you know, we filter out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we go through the, the technicals. Like we handle all the technical aspects of self-custody for you, with you. So it's essentially a very good learning experience. And by the end of it, you know, almost everyone that, you know, we've spoken to so far comes out of it extremely happy, extremely comfortable, um, with using their their Bitcoin you know, as almost as easily as a credit card. So find me on Twitter. I'm very active on my personal profile, which is V4BTC. 
or at the Bitcoin Way's Twitter handle, obviously, which is the, the Bitcoin Way underscore. We're very active on both accounts. And yeah, I look forward to, uh, to speaking with you. Uh, anyone's welcome, free 30-minute call, and we take it from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you would be surprised how much you can learn in 30 minutes with somebody that really knows what they're doing and is sort of specialized in teaching people self, self-custody. So I would definitely take up V for BTC on a 30-minute call. I might do it myself. So, you know, there you go. All right. Thank you, everybody, again. And uh, again, great conversation. Share it uh, and spread the word so people can take self-custody. And uh, awesome. People are very happy. They're applauding. They're giving hearts. Wonderful. Let us know what you guys think. Comment, you know, like DM us, whatever. And, you know, uh, catch you guys on the next one. Yeah, thank you so much to our guests, uh, V for BTC and D. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you two, having experts when it comes to something that can be as daunting as Bitcoin self-custody is necessary. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining in. This has been the Friday episode of the Juan Gold Show, where you'll find us every single Friday. And um, yeah, please feel free. Send out DMs to anybody here in the panel. If you've got questions, um, we definitely understand that. This is a big topic and can be dived into for a very long time. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. This has been Rob with Bitcoin News with another episode of the Juan Gold Show. Check you back next Friday. Talk then. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.